Hey, it's the FinTech Newscast. My name is John, and with me is, as always, Steve. How are you doing? As always, I am. I'm good, John. I'm good. Enjoying early fall, late summer. How are you? Just uh, looking over the news here: the AI boom, ChatGPT, OpenAI, all, all that good stuff, and uh, Elon Musk uh, starting his own AI project uh, as well. He's got a pretty good track record. What do you think? It's interesting. Uh, I don't know. I actually listened to a really interesting story recently that Ronan Farrow did on the New Yorker about Elon Musk. I, I just read that AI. article. Long, yeah. but worth it. Long, but really interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I hope he succeeds. I think that there may be issues with, um, I think there are allegations about his drug use in the article, in the piece, but... Yeah, um, ongoing. Not just a uh, one-off Joe Rogan thing. Yeah. Exactly. I think ketamine well, what, is, what is, it is his drug of choice. Ketamine. Ket- ket- ketamine, right, right. Yeah. Special K. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think that uh, the world can benefit from more competition. So, you know, if he wants to launch a new AI startup, let's do it. I think he he gets too much sleep as it is in anyway. So uh, go out of it, Elon. Go, go crazy. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. All, all I want is my Bitcoin to bounce back up. That's all. That's all. <laughs> Good luck. These simple things. <laughs> well, we're, we're always very excited about uh, founders and trying new things and creativity. And so we're lucky enough to have this week. Carlos Cisco, the CEO and co-founder of Select. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, there's uh, so many new ideas, so many things, uh, uh, experiments. Goldman Sachs famously uh, jumping into uh, consumer cards and getting burnt uh, in this space. You're jumping in. Uh, what is uh, Select's value proposition here? Yeah, uh, that that's a great question, and um, you know, it's it's the sort of space where you've got to really know what you're doing, and and really make sure that your offering stands out for for the customers that you're targeting. Um, but so Goldman Sachs should have hired you, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, I couldn't help them avoid a lot of problems. Um, but uh, but um, anyway, so so um, you know, the the credit card for us is like an interesting expansion of our current business. Um, so we today have a membership program, um, which is basically a digital membership and concierge service that connects people with exclusive events, savings, and perks at over 1.3 million locations all across the world. So basically, our team reaches out to top restaurants, hotels, retailers, automotive brands, sports teams, really pretty much everything under the sun to arrange these benefits that are typically significant. So usually 15 to 30% off can go as high as 60% or it could be experiential like a round of drinks. Um, ongoing. So they're always available. Um, That's a key tenet of our program. We don't um, like temporary offers. And then they're also unlimited. So if someone's favorite restaurant, hotel, sports team, whatever is is on select, they they could get a significant benefit uh, every single time um, that they're spending money with with that partner. Um, So that's what's helped us build up a a pretty big, um, you know, over 10,000 membership base uh, over time. And and the idea with the credit card. uh, Oh, you know, I have to say that's a a big uh, attraction uh, when there's no expiration date. So many times you have an offer or I have to keep track of this is going to expire or yeah. it's only for this certain time. But uh, you're saying that these are like ongoing. This is just an yes. ongoing relationship or or deal with uh, your your partners. That's that sounds like a big plus. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And and um, you know that's part of what enables um, a a lot of value creation. Um, you know, like I was catching up with one of our investors a couple of weeks ago, and he invested because he computed his annual savings with Select, and it was over twenty thousand dollars. Whoa. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's a look. That's a different um, spend pattern than your typical person, right? But it would. I be... think I have a yeah. I think I have a little bit lower spend pattern. <laughs> yeah, I might <laughs> be a two hundred dollars savings kind of guy. <laughs> um, but but uh, in any case, you know that would be much 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 harder with something like American Express or or Chase, right? That that same. 20k becomes like a few hundred bucks it's it's just a whole different um playing field because of that unlimited component and and the significance of the benefits and then at the same time too we're curating all these different relationships so we're working with best in category places so you know there's over a dozen michelin starred restaurants on select for example we have a partnership with BMW, like these are truly, um, you know, sort of like leaders in their specific category. So, so it's also a good experience every time you get to use uh, select too. So essentially the, the value prop here is that um, if you become a select member, you can access all these, um, uh, uh, I guess, selective things, right? So you, uh, there's dining where, where you can get, I think, a percentage of your total bill, maybe like a free appetizer or something uh, that you say, um, um, Michelin starred places, um, there's lifestyle, there's nightlife, there's business and all that. This And the plan now is to go beyond that and sort of um, uh, deploy a credit card that can also capture that same kind of audience. Um, is the target audience here essentially high net worth individuals or just more mass affluent types there? Because I see that you're, 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 pre you're present in basically most major cities in the U.S. Uh, but who is the, the target audience for this and what sort of the age and income range that, that you're, you're going after? Yeah, uh, that that's a great question. So so it tends to be that mass affluent and above. Um, you know, so like our median income right now is like 180k. Um, I actually think that will come down as we introduce the credit card. Because uh, right now with the membership, you know, people are typically paying multiple uh, annual fees for for other cards. Um, so so the fact that it can all get consolidated into one fee plus have like the cash back proposition that the card does, which is 2% on almost everything uncapped, um, automatically sent to you too, so no headaches, um, as well as all the world elite benefits. Um, so, so I think the median income will normalize a little bit and, and come to more like 140, 150. Our average income to your point about high net worth is actually about 339. So that gets pulled up um, by the sort of like top, let's call it eight to 10% or so um of members um but but really it's you know it's a good fit for anyone who's traveling dining um even now the lifestyle category's gotten really strong so so even if there's brands um in there that you enjoy um you know it can be pretty valuable and and we only market in the US but we have members in about 12 countries right now so so there's um, you know, eventually we'll start to cast that net, um, you know, further and further out and and bring it to more and more countries too. I'm almost curious when you're building a platform, how do you actually get um, the suppliers or in this case, the business businesses who want to get these customers to get on? So do you have to onboard a client on a, sort of on a one-on-one -on -one basis? Are you actually calling out, say, the, the Miami Dolphins or the Yankees or all these restaurants? Or how do you, how do you look at your supplier acquisition strategy? Yeah, yeah. So in, in most cases, it is one to one. Um, so both of those uh, cases are examples of that, uh, actually. Um, so we're mostly reaching out, we're curating these partners, um, you know, we want places that are going to be a great experience for our members. And then we want our members to have 
some sort of ongoing benefit that they can't get anywhere else. And, and, you know, what's good about that for the business, of course, is then they become their frequent loyal customers as, as well. Right. And, and, and it gets to be a part of this broader umbrella um, of, you know, positive value and positive experience that, that, that essentially makes these people um, go back more and more often and have better and better uh, experiences um, that said, there's certainly some large brands in there um, that have more than one location, BMW, Hyatt. Um, we have an overarching uh, partnership with Priceline and Booking. So, so like, you know, like there's definitely some some large partner sets. And, and it's even true on the restaurant side. You know, typically if you have a very successful restaurant, you end up opening more of them. Um, you know, Sushi by Boo slash Sushi Suite is, is a good example of this. I think they opened their first locations maybe four years ago. Now there's 20 of them. They're all on select. Um, but, but, you know, in terms of creating relationships, we are reaching out one-to-one so that we can have that direct relationship and get the best possible um, set up for our member. And usually something that's completely exclusive, but an absolute minimum, something that's better than offered anywhere else. And what was the cost of the, of the, the membership pre, pre, pre credit card launch? So just sort of to get these, the, the access and the benefits that you just, you, you mentioned. Yeah, it's 450 per year. Um, and the credit card is the same price actually. Excellent. That's actually cheaper than I think the Chase Sapphire card, right? I think it's in, in the 500 range or so, or even more now. Yeah, they're 550. Uh, Platinum went up to 695. So that's very much intentional. We wanted to be priced just below the market leaders, but provide a lot more value. Excellent. And why the move then to go from offering all these member services to now credit card? And also what's next? Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are both great. Uh, <laughs> easy questions. Easy questions. E easy questions. Yes. <laughs> well, well, they're good questions. Uh, you know, cause obviously look, a credit card's an undertaking, right? Um, so you've got to be pretty uh, committed to why you're doing that. And, and in our viewpoint, um, you know, like we kind of always saw the membership going here. It's, it's one of the largest um, applications of a paid membership fee model, frankly. Um, and when you look at the value of these cards, um, like it's almost like shocking, infuriating, wh whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, like they all have like a few things that they hang their hat on, right? Like Amex does their like 1500 a year in benefits or whatever. And look, that's enough to more than pay for the card, right? So it's not like an ROI wise, like stupid um, purchase. However, like, you know, there's just not a lot of creativity. There's not a lot of differentiation. So we were like, wow, like the idea that we have for a membership model would play really, really well here. We're like, basically by curating the best possible customers, the best possible businesses and forging these lasting relationships that improve everybody's life. Um, you know, we could create a card that's really kind of unparalleled and, and that's the way we view it uh, in the space. And, and, you know, I think some of the early press uh, around the announcement kind of speaks to that. Like Business Insider did the launch announcement. Uh, the points guy ended up doing an organic piece on it, which almost never happens. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, and there were, there were several others as well. It's probably the most significant development in the space um honestly that i can think of and that's that's trying to exclude personal bias you know of course i think it's <laughs> thing, but um but in terms of like a card that you could swipe and it gets you a free round of drinks or a card that you could you know use to buy a car and save five grand i don't think we've ever really seen um anything like that um and then in terms of what's 
next. Um, you know, definitely we had to be kind of heads down building uh, a lot of this out and we're always like building and improving products. We've added over 150 new member benefits so far this year, for, for example, um, plus done all sorts of tech <laughs> improvements. Um, but I do see this, um, you know, sort of going into broader financial services. I think that there's a really interesting shift where, um, you know, a lot of the spend is shifting to Gen Z, millennial, um, also a lot of assets are going to shift to Gen Z, millennial, and like they're just not the same customers as the generations that preceded them. Um, they want great experiences, you know, on the investment side, they want unique opportunities. They want to be more active. For example, um, you know, venture capital is more than twice as popular with those groups as it is with the preceding groups. So you're going to see a lot of things in the industry change meaningfully. And, and we're basically going to look to play anywhere where we think we can provide significant and unique value. How did you get started? You know, with these things that are kind of like an ecosystem where uh, people aren't going to join unless you have a lot of uh, offerings and people don't want to participate as an offering unless you have a lot of members. How, how do you get that positive cycle started? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, too. Um, and it is one of the hardest things. Um, and I really do view us as an ecosystem, actually. I think that's the correct word. Um, you know, uh, so initially... <laughs> initially really we um we had to sell the vision um and you know we didn't have a website we didn't have customers but we had this idea right of, of sort of curating both sides and um you know designing incentives that encouraged kind of all the right customer behaviors and then on the customer side we're just like completely flexible completely limitless like you know zero effort just nice smooth seamless um, and we got some businesses that had never done any sort of external offer before because they didn't need to because they're popular uh, to, to buy into this concept. And then as we started to, of course, get the site and the app built out, start to get customers, well, that's when we hit the second uh, part of your uh, question, which is, you know, how do you kind of solve the, the you know, famous marketplace problem of like, you need enough benefits to get the people, you need enough people to get the benefits. So our, our view of it was that the benefits had to lead. Um, but, you know, we pretty quickly realized we had like a beta with, you know, about 50 uh, or so um, paying customers. And then we had like somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 partner locations, you know, now it's, um, you know, over 1.3 million, but 30,000 still a lot. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, so, so 50 people uh, going to 30,000 places is not the right uh, <laughs> you know, option there. Um, and, and we actually got kind of lucky. We were looking at, you know, good B2B uh, channels um, and we ended up um, securing a deal. And this is actually before we launched the direct consumer membership fully, it was still in beta um, with a company called UDR, uh, Inc., which is a publicly traded REIT, and they purchased memberships for a couple of their buildings in New York City. Um, so that pumped 1,400 people into the ecosystem, um, you know, effectively overnight, and then they later, you know, expanded to all of their New York City buildings. Um, but that's how we solved the marketplace problem. And then on the back of that, we built up the direct-to-consumer piece. And, and really there, it was just about, like, taking the bet on paid advertising, more or less. And as soon as we did that, I would say within a few weeks of testing, it, it hit and 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 the direct consumer business really started to scale. I guess I'm going to try that then. 
<laughs> seems like a pretty fairly fairly simple solution yeah um so it, it seems like the, there's other there's other companies and spaces that sort of offer not the same but sort of within the same the same stratosphere of services right you have the high-end um the amex cards we mentioned the 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 sapphire card as well um what would you say is the biggest sort of selling point and how do you how do you differentiate select and what you guys have built versus what else is out there in the market those are the two market leaders. So they're both like good illustrative points. And, and interestingly, um, you know, a business insider who did our launch announcement was covering Amex Platinum the week before. Um, so they outlined all the benefits that, that come with that card. I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 44 or so. Um, you know, I think about three or four of those were ongoing things like the Uber thing. Um, you know, only one or two of them are uncapped, um, you know, like their fine hotels and resorts. Uh, our list is over 900. Uh, every single thing is uncapped. Every single thing is ongoing. Um, so it's just, you know, if you're spending, uh, then like we're the card for you pretty much, unless you're in another country. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, there's just a lot more value to be obtained um, through our platform. And then I also think the way that we designed some of like the more traditional credit card elements is more compelling for, um, you know, customers. Like something that kind of surprised me with Amex and Chase is like, yes, they have a few categories where they've got a good points structure, right? There's like, you know, three or four where maybe it's three to five X if you're booking through their portals and what we have the same stuff, by the way. Um, but, um, you know, everything else, it's one X. And in our case, it's almost always 2% cash back. We had to exclude uh, a couple of categories, but for the most part, that 2% cash back really does add up. Um, and also that money going to the customer more quickly where they don't have to go through all sorts of hoops uh, to get access to the rewards, um, I also think is is kind of a bonus. Um, I think a lot of people are sort of tired of all the different games, um, you know, especially in the case of Amex, actually, like if you redeem Amex points for cash, it's like 60% of what it would be if it was any other card in, in the universe. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things they do well. That to me is not one of them. I don't know why they do that. Fascinating, interesting. And yeah. I, and in terms of sort of, sort of the, the other side from, from from the customer side, are you seeking out customers or do they come to you? How do you sort of um, look at your customer acquisition now? Because I know that, for example, if you want to get a an Amex, you know, the black card, I think they have to actually seek you out, which so it's, in, it's invite only. Um, right. So how, and, but this is of course, you know, sort of a more affordable, uh, price point. So how how do you get your customers? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I do think their strategy um, for Platinum and Centurion was really smart. Um, and I think you've seen other companies effectively, including JP Morgan, Luxury Card, like kind of emulate that strategy where you build up with your sort of mid-tier offer. And, and that's what I view our current membership as. It's it's sort of that, except that, you know, like we've actually had Centurion card holders cancel their Centurion cards after getting select, but it really depends on how you use it. You know, like we're probably not the same level of concierge service, but we probably provide a lot more value than, than that card. But, um, you know, because we're in that more of that mid-tier, like we do typically you know, do the normal forms of marketing. We have um, distribution partnerships, for example, like 
we have a employee perk with McKinsey that that actually signs up a good amount of people. We have something like that with Google and and with other companies. Um, but but it's primarily from um, advertising, and we mostly advertise media about us. So for uh, entrepreneurs listening, when you're doing advertising, you want it to feel as native as possible. So that's a good strategy. Um, same thing with all the UGC that you see today. That feels more native um, than a typical advertisement. Um, as we now start to roll out the credit card, though, we get to kind of heighten the exclusivity a little bit. And, and we are starting in an invitation-only beta. Um, we just invited the first literally handful uh, of, uh, of non-select employees to the card last week. Um, so so we're, we're in the very, very early processes of that, but eventually we'll be inviting hundreds of people and then thousands of people, um, et cetera. But we are gonna start that off in an invitation only beta. Um, and then eventually that will be a normal application process. Yeah, all of our uh, FinTech guests have that same problem. Too many customers wanna go to them. <laughs> they don't know what to do with the, the rush. <laughs> uh, what, what, what a great problem to have. Uh, we we can always use more customers. We'll we'll always yeah. More customers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of just a uh, uh, fintechs in general, um, I, I know you know some other fintech founders. Um, but what what are just some of the things that you see as uh, good qualities for just for our, our listeners, uh, for for fintech entrepreneurs to focus on or or qualities they should have. Yeah, um, and and maybe it's a little biased with our case, but but I think like unique customer value is where you need to focus. Um, a lot of the companies that are getting killed now are, are these companies where there's not a lot of unique customer value. Like maybe there was a really smart marketing gimmick, you know, whatever, like, like a lot of these sort of like neobank type companies, like, you know, one of them, um, Dave, for example, is public. And I actually think Dave had some interesting um, value props, but you know, like if you're going kind of like mass market and you don't have something that's completely defensible, like you basically risk getting killed uh, <laughs> more, more or less. So I think you got to make sure your value prop is is really really unique. Um, and a good counter example of that that's not us would be the newer uh, built card. Um, which basically gives people uh, a cash back or points or something on their rent. Um, you know, that's a pretty compelling value prop if you're paying rent. Um, so I think a lot of people have that card and, and use it for rent, for example, but that's something that other cards don't do. Uh, if you think you're going to like win customers over by doing the exact same that the Saints, exact same thing that the much bigger companies already do, that's pretty hard, but there's examples of that in the market um, too. And then in terms of like founder qualities, uh, you know, uh, I think the main thing that most people don't realize is you have to be tenacious, relentless, persistent. Startups are really hard. Any, any, starting any business is hard, right? It's risky, it's stressful, all of that. But if you're, you know, building a high growth technology or tech enabled company, um, that's an extra um, big challenge. And then, you know, like it gets only bigger when you bring it into, um, you know, financial services, the largest industry in the world by gross profit, but it's also one of the most regulated and most competitive. Um, so it just compounds everything. So you just have to be ready to, you know, effectively go to war every day. <laughs> Interesting. Um, <laughs> you, you have such a positive attitude about going to war every day. I love it. 
Um, <laughs> we go to war every day. Uh, 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 Putin doesn't have that kind of attitude. Uh, but uh, uh, so uh, you, you've been growing uh, through this uh, pandemic and, and now post-pandemic, a lot of changes going on. Uh, are, is your workforce uh, completely remote? Yes, yeah, so we're remote first now. Um, we used to be pretty much a split. We had close to half of our team in New York, although honestly, it was starting to transition a little bit even before the pandemic. It had maybe moved to about 40% in our New York office, 60% everywhere else. We have the sort of model where it does benefit us to have people spread out a little bit for member events and, and things of that nature. Um, but now I really view it as remote first. We still have a physical office in New York. Um, people do go in there. Um, you know, it's really only operations that needs to, but sometimes our partnerships, people use it. Sometimes I use it. Um, so, so remote first, but I think it is good to have, um, office availability in markets where, you have, you know, at least like a decent concentration of employees and, and basically just let everyone do their best work uh, wherever they, you know, will do that the best, I guess, um, you know, like give, give them the flexibility to decide, um, you know, where, where they're going to get the most stuff done. And, and, you know, as a founder business owner, like you, you judge them off of performance, not, not where they're doing the work. Yeah, it sounds like the modern take uh, uh, these days. Um, and, you know, the other thing we've heard is that um, just having that wider pool of talent uh, as well, you're not going to, you're not I getting um, yeah, I forth from the same kind of culture. I, I, I think that's true. And like, we're, you know, we're unifying everyone around like a vision, a mission, a, a culture, but like the wider I think your net can go, the more likely you'll be to get those diamond in the rough kind of um, team members. Um, and that's just really, really, really valuable. Um, and look, there's definitely differing opinions on this. I just saw, you know, Goldman's trying to get everyone to go in five days a week now or something. Uh, to me, that time period is just over. Um, that's not going to work. Yeah. 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 I, I think that time period is gone. Um, you know, I think it's designing around your workforce and empowering them to do their best work and, um, you know, making sure though, on the flip side, um, you know, that you also provide that, right? New York City is actually a great example. A lot of apartments in New York are pretty small. Um, so if you have a bunch of people in New York, you should actually think about having some sort of access to physical space, whether that's like a flexible co-working membership or whatever, whatever the case is, I think that's a market where people like to get out of their apartments um, to go into an office sometimes. So we, we've, we've talked a lot on, uh, on the show about how um, the, the advent of things like um, open banking and, and white little banking have really enabled all these new services like yours. And, yep. and I'm curious, you know, for the credit card that they, they, you, they, they you have as well, um, what was the process to get that through to to be that service through Mastercard and also through I'm assuming some sort of partner bank that they can provide the the back end services for you? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and you're 100 right. And and we're a good um, honestly example case. Um, so so we partnered with um, Deserve, uh, Celtic Bank, and and Mastercard. Um, and Deserve is is kind of I mean well they are like a, a platform um, for setting up credit cards. Typically with larger mm -hmm. companies, they just did one with Rocket, they just did one with AMC, 
Um, but they effectively started as a direct consumer card and realized, wow, that was really hard <laughs> to, to set up, you know, um, maybe, maybe there's a business in um, making that easier for other people. And, and of course there is, um, but, but it's pretty difficult. They're really the only one in that space that can do things in the way that they're able to do it. So, so we definitely sought them out in terms of a partner. Um, we had some other options. There's one or two other platforms. We were looking at a more traditional type co-brand experience, but we wanted to own the member experience. So, so really they were the yeah. best place overall for that. Um, and then in our specific case, we had a longstanding relationship with MasterCard. We actually had a longstanding relationship with Visa also. So like, um, you know, like we didn't need to bring anything there to the table, but I wanted, um, I wanted the card to be in the top consumer credit tier, um, because that is what lets us do the 2%. Um, and that had actually never happened before our card, um, for a new entrant, that's not a top 10 issuer. Um, so, so I had to get my own special approval, uh, for that. Um, but you know, when it's, it's, and that's the point, I guess it ties back to the going to war point, like it's, you know, I sound joyful about it because I feel like I'm fighting for our customers and, and our partners. And, and to me, that's exciting. I think we're building a better version of what financial services can be, where it's not so disconnected from your lifestyle ambitions um, and where it can actually meaningfully enhance your daily life. Um, and, and that part's pretty cool. But then um, just to loop back to open banking. So deserves the best option for credit cards by far. Um, there's a ton of options. If you want to do a debit card, savings account, all of those kinds of stuff that really proliferated, uh, which is cool. Um, you know, Dave, which we mentioned earlier, maybe not doing so well in the market right now, but they set up their program with a company Synapse, one of these open banking platforms. And that made it much faster to go to market. And they had insane growth to get to like millions of, of customers. Um, and it's just an example of how that layer of open banking enabled, um, you know, what at the time was a fairly revolutionary uh, product for, for customers. And, and that enabled that company to grow really fast. So, so open banking is really cool. It's just not as common in credit cards because basically you have the credit component, <laughs> which exactly. I'm made of now. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you need a balance sheet to, to, to make things work. Yeah. Yeah. And this actually, this isn't your, your first go at this, right? You, you've actually funded um, other companies or you've worked in, in, uh, in early stage startups or, or MVC. Can you walk me through sort of how you came to this idea and also your, how that, how, how what you are with select now is a, is a, is a combination of all that you've done in, in, you know, in, in your career. Yeah, that's a great question. And my career on paper looks so random, but but like it all, <laughs> it all correlates with select, right? Um, so I, I'm looking at your LinkedIn. I can verify that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I started um, an event planning and promotion business when I was in school, um, when I was 18. Uh, so I started doing these like large scale um, events, uh, various nightlife venues, restaurants, even hotels, uh, eventually. Um, but at the same time, I was a finance uh, major, so I had experience across various areas of, of finance. Um, and, you know, eventually uh, I was in equity trading in New York, which uh, is really exciting. I really love being in financial markets, but it was just, you know, a really short term focus. I kind of 
in investing, like to bet big on things I really believed in. Apple was the first stock I ever purchased back in 2005. Um, so, um, you know, I was looking to get into entrepreneurship again, and that's when I made my segue into the startup space. And I did it by joining uh, Groupon. Um, and this is back in 2010. Um, oh, wow. When Groupon was in the process of becoming the fastest growing company in, in history by revenue. And that was such a crazy time period that I actually think that may still be the case. I'm not sure anyone's wow. been able to grow revenue more quickly than them still to this day, more than a decade um, later. Um, so that was a phenomenal experience. I you know, basically got to move out to Japan and help set up Groupon in Japan. Um, and, and kind of my big takeaway there was definitely, um, you know, the inspirations for Select, which was, wow, there's a huge demand for a new way for merchants and customers to connect, right? And, and what was unique about Groupon is, is, you know, even though they weren't the first ones to do this model, it was one of the first um, where a merchant could, you know, create an offer and get people in the door without having to spend anything up front, right? And, and they would only... Um, you know, provide the offer, compensate Groupon, et cetera, based on customers that actually walked into their door or later in the case of goods made a purchase uh, online. Um, that is what was really interesting to people, I think, was, was essentially turning marketing spend into customer value. Um, and that's kind of what Select does also, if you think about it, just with a different tier of customers and with a different tier of businesses and with a different model, right? Like the things that I didn't feel worked well um, with Groupon and, and I honestly haven't you know, looked at it too recently closely. I'm sure that they've done things to address some of these areas over time, but like people were not going back. Um, I don't even think that's a secret. I think there's like all sorts of public stats around that. Like people did not go back. Um, there was not a lot of quality control. Um, so if you're like a premier customer, like a high income person, like you don't want to go to somewhere just because you're saving money. You want it to be a great experience. Um, so, so there wasn't really the right filtration um, with that. And then it was also just really not flexible. It had all these stipulations, you know, days, times it would expire. Um, I didn't really like any of that. So, so my hypothesis. Yeah, me too. <laughs> right? I, I mean, look, great, great deals, right? Like I definitely was a user of, of Groupon both pre and post working there, but like, I much prefer, you know, the idea of like, oh, people have to apply, merchants have to be vetted, um, a customer pays an annual fee, okay, but then their, you know, value in exchange is uncapped and they don't need to worry about when they need to use it or, you know, using it by a certain time or using it too often or, or any of this, right? Sort of like removing all the stipulations of credit cards, removing all the stipulations of, of Groupon and making sure that everything was a quality experience. So, so that was definitely um, a big part of the inspiration. I would say the last one was just sort of looking at the credit card market and like, you know, there's definitely big companies that have tried to do variations of this before. It's just really, really difficult. Um, but I'm a very, very determined person. So I think that's why we've been able to make it work as is our entire team. Um, I was thankfully able to and fortunate to bring the right people around me to, to make this happen. I wouldn't want to be competing against you, Carlo. That much I can tell <laughs> already. <laughs> With that in mind, and since I have you on the line, uh, I was wondering what your thoughts are around like the Apple card uh, where, and and all of their financial services, they seem to be building a pretty big 
a fintech, even if it's in their niche. Um, what do you thought? What are your thoughts about what they've been doing, and does that intersect with you at all? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and um, I think it's smart um, at a high level. Um, you know, that's the most valuable company in the world. They have an extremely loyal and engaged following. Um, so, you know, every business, uh, you know, and it doesn't sound, um, you know, necessarily nice, I guess, to break it down this way, but but it's a, a factor of how much does it cost you to acquire a customer and what's the lifetime value of that customer, right? At the end of the day, just about every business, you have to provide unique value to get those customers. But like, you know, that's what it all boils down to. So if they're able to like so easily plug in additional services that they're able to monetize, smart. Um, and it will encourage some loyalty with their products. Um, you know, I think their cards don't have great reviews because they're not, you know, that compelling aside from, you know, if you're buying um, Apple stuff. Um, and look, I think like long-term down the road, um, you know, maybe they're an interesting partner. So something we're seeing a lot of right now are some very, very large financial institutions, some very, very large companies in other categories that basically want to partner up with us, create something co-branded for their customers. Um, so, um, you know, like if someone wants to provide, you know, effectively, perhaps we're starting to be considered like the best benefits platform in, in existence, like, you know, there's a good opportunity to team up and get that unique value for your customers and also get some additional uh, revenue, of course, on, on some sort of split. So, so I think what they're doing is smart. Um, I think they could actually be a partner down the road. And um, yeah, I think we'll see more of what they're doing too, although not too many brands have the strength that Apple does. Apple is uniquely strong as a brand. So I hear. Yeah. And they'll be very lucky if they get to partner with you. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that's Carlos Cisco, the founder and CEO of Select. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in fintech news. And thank you for listening.